I can remember whenever I first kind of came onto active duty in the Navy about three years ago, and really kind of being shocked overall by just the different culture than I was used to experiencing. Having been in seminary for seven years, having, you know, done kind of a Naval Academy experience, kind of doing, you know, a training environment, and going from all of those very formalistic experiences, being in the church for the most part, and then hopping onto an aircraft carrier was very eye-opening. And I can remember after my first underway, like going to, a, to this chaplain being like, what the heck is going on? Why, why is there such a, a lack of um, honesty amongst, amongst the sailors? And he said, you know how you can tell whenever a sailor is lying. I said, how's that? He said, when his lips are moving. And I was like, all right, good to know. And I'll never forget, like, that was, now that's not exactly true, kids. That's not, that does not, that's not, that's the whole truth, but it is a little, a little jest. And it's kind of anchored in some truth that there's, there's a bit of, of, of lying going on. And those of us who have dealt with lying can kind of see that the best way to deal with, with lying or the best way to deal with somebody who is lying isn't necessarily to get into an argument with them. That generally doesn't create clarity in the issue. That actually usually creates a lot more problems. Really, the, the antidote to lying, the solution to deceit to lying is to introduce reality. And to instead of, instead of kind of get hopped into the web of lies, just instead go toward reality and inject reality into the situation. And that's exactly what Jesus does in today's gospel. In today's gospel, we have the Pharisees. And these Pharisees are, are not on Jesus' side. And look at, look at how it introduces. They plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They're looking to go after him. They're looking to get him into a trap. They're looking to corner him. And so how do they corner him? They, they don't go and do it themselves. They send their lackeys to do it. And so they go, they send their disciples to him with the Herodians. So you have the Jewish people, and then you have the Roman people right here. And they go, teacher... We know that you are a truthful man, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And so immediately, whenever that you know you hear somebody say, "Oh yeah, I know you speak the truth," it's generally it's generally kind of a setup. And so we, they're there, and they're trying to get him to to ultimately give an answer that'll get him in trouble. And this is why they go up to him and they say, "Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not?" Now, why is that a problematic issue? Why, why would that be problematic? And why could that be an entrapment, a question that would ultimately lead him into a lot of problems? And the answer to that is they want him to answer either a yes or a no. Either yes, it's lawful, or no, it's not lawful. If you were to say yes, it is lawful, to pay the, the, the census tax to Caesar, what he's essentially saying is that Roman occupation of Israel is good. We're very glad to have the Romans. They're wonderful people. And because of that, we're going to go ahead and pay the, the, the census tax. You see why that might be a problem? You have the Jewish people there who are angry at the Romans. They hate the Romans with every atom of their being. And so if you have Jesus here, responding, giving a flat yes, a flat affirmative 
to this answer. Yeah, it's it's okay to pay. It's okay to pay Caesar. You know that tyrant that's over us? Yeah, he's a great guy. I know him personally. Pay him up. That would go terribly. It wouldn't work out well. And in fact, it would give the Jewish people a reason to crucify him. In part because the Pharisees were teaching that paying the census tax was not lawful. But what if he were to go out and say, no, it is not lawful to pay the census tax. It is not lawful, ultimately, to honor and, 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 and acknowledge the Roman Empire. Not lawful. Not okay. Well, what would, what would the reaction be? It wouldn't be the Jewish people that were mad at him. Instead, it would be the Romans. And the Romans would then be able to tag him and say, this guy is trying to incite a revolution. And so thus, what do we have to do? We're going to have to kill him off. We're going to have to get rid of him. And so ultimately, the Jewish people are setting him up to either be, be in hot water with the Jews or hot water with the Romans. And so that's why, here we are, we have this extremely deceitful trap laid out right before him. And instead of Jesus getting into an argument, instead of Jesus walking into this trap, what instead he does is say, why are you testing me? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Jesus does this all the time. This is a very common tactic for Jesus. Anytime you have anybody looking ultimately to go after Jesus, what does he do? He distracts you. He distracts us ultimately to keep us and keep them, people, from becoming aggressive with him. He did this very notably with, uh, with, the, with the men that were looking to stone the adulterous woman. What does he do? He goes and he writes on the ground. Was he writing anything specific? Probably not. He was just diverting their attention. In this way, he pulls these Pharisees out away from the trap and focuses their attention on something very, very small and very, very almost what one would think is trivial. And so what does he do? They play along. They hand him the tax. They hand him the coin. And what does he say? Whose image is this? And whose inscription? It's interesting he uses the word image. Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Why would he use the word image? What he's doing is he's setting up in this passage his answer. And what does he say? He says, what do they reply? They reply, Caesar's. And that's whenever he, say, he, he delivers this line that ultimately avoids all entrapment. Then pay unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. Now how does that break down? How does that make sense? Essentially by Jesus saying, whose image is this on this coin? What he's doing is he's comparing mankind to a coin of Caesar's. And he's using the word image. Because where else do we see the word image? We see the word image in the book of Genesis. When God made man in what? 
his image and his likeness. And so right here, we see a perfect parallel between money and us. Not like, not, not, I'm not, not to say that we're like worth money or whatnot, but there's a, there's a, a parallel there. And, it, and there's kind of three ways where we see it. First, legal tender, legal tender cannot be duplicated. You and I do not have the authority, you and I do not have the right to make legal tender. If I go to my house and start printing dollar bills on my, on my $50 printer, A, they wouldn't look very pretty, but B, I would be in a lot of trouble. I would not, that is not legal to do. In the same way, we don't have the authority to just create and clone human beings. That's not out within our authority. But God does. God does. So right off the bat, we see ultimately uh, that parallel between money and the person. The second thing, ultimately, is that money bears an image. All money, just about, I mean, I can't think of any money that actually doesn't, bear an image of the authority that makes the money ultimately valuable. The authority that makes the money worth something. And in the same way we have that image, that image of God basically burned into our souls, that image of God burned in within us. So that's the second thing. But the third, whenever it comes to money, there was a law passed in 1948, which says you and I do not have the right, even though technically it is ours, to destroy money. It is illegal to deface money. It is illegal to face dollar bills. It is illegal to chip, chip coins. It is illegal to put pennies on a railroad track. You're probably not going to get prosecuted for these things. But technically, it is illegal. Ultimately saying, and ultimately sending the message that money, not fully, we still live in a, in a capitalist society, but not fully, but money, in a, in a sense, belongs to the government. In a more profound way, though, you and I belong to God. And that's the message Jesus wants us to take away. Yes, pay your taxes. Yes, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Yeah, do your duties as, as a citizen. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, all of our being, all of our possessions, all of who we are, belong to the Lord. And there's a lot of freedom in that. So much of our life can very often be looking to ultimately collect things and collect memories and collect experiences and ultimately doing things that, 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 that basically believe that we need to build ourselves up because it all belongs to us. My possessions, my property, my life, my body, this, that, and the other. But what Jesus says is that ultimately this need to, 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 to grasp at these things, this need to grasp at material possessions, this need to grasp at life, ultimately is very, very, just sad. It doesn't lead to a joyful life. It doesn't lead to a truly happy life. Instead, what Jesus wants to encourage us to do is to let these things go. To let the need to live in a great and glorious fashion go. To, to, let, to let the need to live in a way that is, that is extravagant, in a way that is beautiful, in a way that, that, that makes everybody jealous, is ultimately a wasted life. Instead, what Jesus says is, is instead of ultimately giving unto 
unto the world what, what the world wants to take from us. Give unto God what belongs to God. In other words, live for God, and then you and I will know what true freedom is really like.